Well, um, I didn't tell you uh, somewhat intentionally, but the passage that I read from Proverbs is actually my text for this morning, and uh, that's what I'm going to be focusing on. But it was refreshing and delightful to hear the references to trust um, throughout uh, the time that you were sharing. I find it interesting that the five years or so leading up to 2020, there was a lot of anticipation of 2020 by many. Um, I think part of it is, is the 2020 is just kind of catching. And I read many articles about businesses, organizations, and leaders anticipating that this would be the year that they implement their 2020 vision, you know, a play on that 2020 vision. A year ago, the economy was strong and everything seemed to be quite stable and solid as we entered, you know, this year with a lot of confidence and optimism. But, you know, this week, um, there is widespread relief that 2020 is finally history. And 2020 truly was a year to remember. Um, it did not go as planned. It was disrupted in multiple ways. And to many, it was, they would consider it a bad year. And there's three, um, three things that I think of, and there's certainly many more that could be mentioned, but just in general, in thinking about the last year. The first is the coronavirus. I mean, that was on everyone's mind. You know, the shutdown, the stay-at-home orders, the disrupt, and it disrupted the economy in so many ways. Uh, the restrictions uh, that were put in place revealed a wide spectrum of opinions and perspectives and how to respond. And then in the summer, you had a number of police shootings of blacks that fueled high levels of civil unrest and charges of racism across the country. Whoops, I'm sorry. And then the presidential election highlighted the deepening political divide between the two major parties and a lack of tolerance for those that think differently than what they do. You know, 2020 was also a difficult year for churches and church leaders. Um, I would say that, I, well, I know that every church leader I have discussed with and reflected on and talked about just how we're dealing with things, they all agree that this was a difficult year. The divisiveness, the polarization, somebody used that term, revealed across the country about especially these three issues came into glaring prominence in the church as well. And, you know, every church had members who believed that the COVID-19 restrictions were too intrusive, while other members believed that more precautions were needed. That was true in every church that I know of. Church leaders everywhere were required to make decisions on a week-by-week -week basis that they knew would probably not be right in the eyes of more than 50% of their congregation. And, and so there was just a lot going on in 2020, and for some reason, God chose 2020 as a reset year to significantly disrupt our normal routines. And for many of us, myself included, the events of 2020 really amplified uncomfortable realities about myself and where our confidence, where our trust, where our hope 
actually lies. It revealed our inclinations to take sides on divisive issues and affected our ability to listen and hear opposing views or differing views. It reminded us of our humanity. And all of this, I think it's also a clear reminder that God has not changed and he remains in control. This morning, I, like I said, I want to look at Proverbs 3, several keys from that. And I want 2021 to be a year in which our focus and dependence is firmly on God rather than putting our confidence in something else, anything else. And so I've entitled this morning's message, Trust in the Lord. <clears throat> and I'm going to, it goes beyond that, but so turn, keep your Bibles at... Proverbs 3, we're going to be looking at that um, together this morning. I'm going to focus primarily on verses 5 through 10, but I do want to mention the, or refer to and make a few comments about the first several verses and the last several verses. These first several verses emphasize the importance of constantly reminding ourselves about truths, about important truths about God and ourselves. Um, we don't know as much as what we'd like to think that we do or like we, that we convince ourselves that we do many times. And we are far more forgetful than we like to admit. Um, that's not just uh, an issue as we get older, but it's true for all of us. And as you think back and consider like the children of Israel and how quickly they forgot we're not any different than them in many ways, and we forget so much. Uh, one thing that I had to remind, think of, I was looking back at some previous sermons I had done 12 years ago, tomorrow, I believe, I preached a sermon here, it was in beginning of 2009. And as, I, as we reflected on that, 2008 was a horrible year, and yet do we even remember what happened in 2008? Barely. Uh, but that just kind of is how forgetful we are. That's only 12 years ago. It's not that long ago. And then the last two verses remind us that there will be times in our lives when God disciplines us because of his love for us. He disciplines us because of the way that we are uh, conducting ourselves, and he wants to correct us. He wants to make us better, make us stronger, and it can feel harsh and even unfair, but it's always for our good whether we like it or not. So first of all, we're going to look at trusting in the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And while this is such a familiar and uh, simple verse, I have to repeatedly ask myself, do I really live this way? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In whom or what do we truly put our trust? I don't question whether every one of us here would say that we trust in the Lord. But I do challenge you to honestly evaluate your responses to the events of the last nine months. And... and have you really been trusting in the Lord with all 
your heart. It's interesting, the word trust is used over 80 times in Scripture, but interestingly, only once in the New Testament, other than one other instance that was an Old Testament quotation. And, uh, and so it's, it's an Old Testament concept in a lot of ways, or maybe a Hebrew concept, I'm not exactly sure, but um, it means to believe in, to have faith, to have full confidence in. And that is, that's what trust is. I mean, faith is probably the New Testament equivalent uh, in, in a lot of ways. But it's, it's also something maybe beyond that a bit. But it's also the opposite of being suspicious of or questioning or challenging. It's, it's, it's putting your full confidence in something. God alone is worthy of our trust. God alone is trustworthy. Anyone or anything else will fail and will severely disappoint us. Putting our trust in God is not something recreational that we can do once or twice a week when it's convenient or when we feel like it. In fact, like I've already mentioned, or we're explicitly told that it needs to be with all our heart, with everything we've got with constant focus, a top priority in everything we do is, has to be trusting the Lord. Now, how frequently do you consciously think about putting your trust in the Lord? Uh, it's something that I have been thinking about over the last couple of weeks, and I have to admit that it hasn't happened as often as I would like to convince myself that it, I do. Um, when our van was totaled the week before Christmas, my first reaction was to put my trust in the insurance company. It wasn't trusting the Lord. That wasn't my first response. Um, when it came to flying to Kansas and back, even though I prayed for safety, I have to admit that my trust was largely in the airline and the pilot. I can't say that I was really trusting God as we were flying. And so it's just a good reminder for me that we... We need to be consciously putting our trust in God. And Solomon is challenging his son to put his full and only confidence in God and not in himself or anything else. My first response all too often to a difficult situation is, based on, is to respond based on what I know, my life experience, my perspective, and what I've learned so far in that's just my natural response. And then, only in the most difficult situations do I then turn to God. That's my natural response. And even then, trusting God is certainly not always easy. The reality is life is not fair. Um, no one ever said that life was fair. And therefore, it can feel at times like God is unfair. But we have to remember, we're living in a sinful world. I enjoy putting puzzles together, and any single puzzle piece gives very little clue about what the puzzle, the finished puzzle will actually complete, what the completed puzzle looks like. And I think in a very similar way, a particular situation or a series of events, or even over the course of our lifetime, is going to give us very little clue 
about the bigger picture that God is completing around us and through us and, and using us to complete. Just because we don't understand what's happening or why doesn't indicate that God can't be trusted. Think about it. What if you understood exactly what God was doing? Would that put you any more at ease? I don't think it would put me at ease. I think it would probably make me more concerned. But then also, if we did understand that, I don't know that God could remain no longer, he would no longer be God because we could understand. I mean, God is so much above us that we're not designed to be able to understand everything that's going on. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't trust yourself or anything apart from God. This past year tested and revealed a lot about whom or what we're trusting in many ways. And these were revealing to me um, and I'm just going to ask you a series of questions here just to think about, like, what is it that I rely on? What is it that I put my trust in? What is it that I have confidence in? Is my trust in social media posts or the media? Is my trust in a certain political party or a political candidate? Is my trust in the U.S. Constitution or the Supreme Court? Is my trust in modern medicine? Is my trust in sensational conspiracy theories? Is the trust in my own skills, my own intellect or intuition or ability to persuade others? Is my trust in other people or their approval? Is my trust in my perception and understanding of a particular situation? And while we need to take personal responsibility and be aware of what's happening around us, we are also to trust in the Lord with all our heart and not depend on what makes sense to us. Might be another way of putting that. I believe that when we trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, there's a number of things that will result. Um, I don't have chapter and verse to point to these, but these are just things that I believe that will result when we trust in God. We will be at peace. We'll be free of anxiety and worry, and some, several people kind of mentioned or alluded to that idea, uh, that when we're fully trusting in God, we don't have to worry about anything. We're able to let go of those hurts and things that ways that we've been mistreated by others. And I think it enables us, or I, be, I firmly believe it enables us to forgive wrongs and leaving the judgment that is deserved in God's hands. We will want to give sacrificially, I believe. We'll, wanna, we'll be able to love others. And anything that we put in our trust in apart from God, will ultimately fail. It may last for a period of time. It might last for a decade or more. But ultimately, it will fail. Anything apart from God will fail. It will not last. So let's trust in the Lord with all our heart.
and intentionally evaluate where our trust lies moment by moment, day by day. The second thing we're to do is to acknowledge the Lord. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your, straight your paths. Notice the previous verse, it said, with all your heart. Here it's in all your ways. How do we acknowledge the Lord? What does that mean? According to Hebrew lexicons and so forth, this word means to notice, to be aware of, to get to know, to discover. And in this particular usage, um, one writer put it this way, it's to accept someone, in this case God, to be what is claimed. Um, and so it, it's, it's to accept, but it's also to pay attention to, to, uh, to notice God. So how do we notice God? How do we discover God? How do we get to know God? How do we accept God for being God? If it, that, we were asking that question about another human being, I think the answer would be very simple, is spending time with them. That's exactly how that would happen. And I believe that that's certainly the best way, maybe the only way. God is revealed through his written word, and then we have the Holy Spirit, which also is a living word, now that Jesus is returned to glory. I don't believe that we have the capacity to acknowledge the Lord apart from intentionally spending time with him each and every day, in communion with him, in reading his word, in intentionally noting what he is teaching us, in thinking about him. That's the way we will acknowledge him in all your ways. What's your plan to acknowledge the Lord in all your ways? How do you plan to pay attention to and get to know God better over the next 12 months? Do you have a plan or do you have an intentional plan? This past year, I learned something about myself that I probably already knew, but I did not have a clearly defined plan to read the Bible systematically. I don't always read through the Bible every year, but I do try to have at least an intentional plan, and I didn't. And as a result, I struggled with consistently reading Scripture because I didn't really have a plan. God reveals himself in his written word, and one of the best ways to acknowledge the Lord is to spend time in the word each and every day. And as I was preparing for this, I came across, um, there's an email, I believe, tips from another source that I think is very helpful when it comes to studying God's Word and reading uh, the Bible in a systematic way. First of all, remember why you're reading. Remember that the goal of Bible reading is intimacy with God. It's not about gathering information. 
when you read scripture, it's not just about reading to learn more. It's about learning to reading to love God and enjoy his his love as he reveals his character and his will through his word. Now, I can assure you that you will experience this over time, but not necessarily every time that you read. It's not like a given. But if you do it consistently, that will happen. Stay consistent. Think about it like an investor trusting regular deposits into an investment account that is producing compounding interest. Hebrews 11.6 tells us that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. God will reward us as we seek him. So, um, so the idea, the goal is, is to have intimacy with God. And then plan what you will read each day. And a Bible reading plan helps. And there's dozens, if not hundreds, of plans available. And there's not like there's any one right plan, but it, it does help to have a plan that you're following, like I mentioned. I have three or four copies of Bible reading plan, a one-year Bible reading plan, and there's three different schedules in here. I will, these are available for the first four people that ask for them. Um, but that's, that's one plan. Um, there's, you know, you can read through the Bible roughly by reading three chapters a day. Uh, you can do that in a year. If you have never read through the entire Bible in a year and you've struggled with consistent Bible reading, don't try to read through the entire Bible necessarily this year. Rather, I suggest you start with a reading plan and read through the New Testament this year. Then next year, as you develop a habit, you can read through the entire Bible. Thirdly, be intentional about how you read. <clears throat> and this is, this is an area that um, I should just preface this. These are all areas that I am preaching to myself first about. Um, I know that I can grow in these areas. But be intentional about how you read. And by this, God speaks to us through his word. And I don't know exactly how that all works. It's a bit mis it is mysterious, but it's certainly not magical either. There's nothing uh, magical about it. But, but there's spiritual disciplines or practices that have been used by Christians throughout church history that help turn reading the Bible into intimacy with God. And one of those habits is to write down your thoughts about what you're reading. Just spend some time writing out what is it that you gathered from the passages you read. It forces you to pay attention closer to what you're reading and process it. What is it that I'm gleaning from this? Uh, it can be a journal, it can be a notebook, it can be on a computer document, it doesn't really matter. But, but do that every day. Do that consistently. And over time, you'll see that God uh, comes through and, and shows himself to you through that. And then another thing is to pray based on what you've read. Maybe even pray back a passage of scripture of what you've read. Or pray for wisdom and grace to apply what you've read. Or that God would bring particular verses to your mind when you're facing specific challenges. Um, but just how you read, how you pay attention when you're reading is important.
And then just some good habits. Determine where you will read. Routines reinforce habits. And it certainly doesn't need to be a perfect place, but just a place that you can, that's your place that you focus on and build a routine around. You know, it's probably not best to pick a, your favorite spot near the creek or in the woods or in your yard uh, for a morning like this. It probably wouldn't happen. Um, but consider your favorite chair or couch or office. But the goal is to consistently, if you go to that same place each and every day, you can build a routine and a habit around that. And then decide when you'll read. Again, routine is important. It's best to target the same time each day, but neither should you get stressed out about it. Get it get, read when you get a chance. Um, early morning is best for a lot of people because your mind is fresh. And maybe there's less temptation to be distracted, although I don't know if that's always true. But it gives you an opportunity to focus your heart on God as your day begins. For some, it might be during your child's nap time. Um, that's going to work best. For others, it might be late at night just before retiring for the day. It doesn't really matter when. But regardless of the time, try to make it the best time of the day for you in this season of your life, and that may change uh, over time as well. Be accountable. Pick a few friends, a few others, and choose the same Bible reading plan and check in with each other to see how it's going. Share what you're learning about what God has been speaking to you through his word, and then share with each other how you plan to follow through on how the Holy Spirit's leading you to respond. And this, I, this, uh, the goal is intimacy with God, and so if someone is struggling with consistently reading, you know, don't judge them, don't condemn them, but help them, encourage them. Someone even suggested that, you know, if somebody needs a jumpstart, maybe connecting several times a week, have a set time when you and some friends are reading, say like 7.30, 7 to 7.30 on a Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and just connect on a video call or something, following your time together, and spend time praying about what you've read. And it's a good way of, of motivating and encouraging those around you to also become more consistent in their, in their time with God and with purpose. <clears throat> but I will just emphasize again that consistency in all of this is a key. There's not a formula that works, but it is, it is consistency and, and doing it day after day. A prayer for you for 2021 from Ephesians 3. And this is for each one of you. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That is certainly my desire for myself, but also for each one of you. We acknowledge the Lord in all our ways by communing, by spending time with, by noticing, by building a relationship with God each and every day of our lives. 
And as we do this in an ongoing way, our life paths will be straightened. The next one is from the next two verses, fear the Lord. Fear, as used here, means something different than what we typically think of when we use the word fear today. It's this is not a fear that we're afraid of or frightened by or dread, but rather it's a term that means to reverence, <clears throat> to stand in awe of, to show utmost respect, to hold in deference, to consider hallowed or holy or exalted. <clears throat> Colloquially, the fear of the Lord today, I think, would probably be either reverence the Lord or stand in awe of the Lord. And um, so I want you to think about it that way, reverence the Lord. And this, this phrase, fear the Lord, is sandwiched between two negative statements, if you notice. Be not wise in your own eyes. Don't think you are something. And then turn away from evil. Stay away from evil. <clears throat> and I think that these two negative statements give some, some context to what the fear of the Lord includes and what, um, what it is, because it's a multifaceted uh, dim- uh, uh, thing that has multiple dimensions. <clears throat> it has to, first of all, it has to do with reverence and awe and respect of God's greatness, and I think that's what that first phrase is warning us against. We are absolutely nothing in comparison to God. And when we begin to see him for who he is, we simply cannot be wise in our own eyes. There's there's nothing, no wisdom there. And when we see the majesty, the splendor, the greatness of God, we, our, our own frailty, our limitations, our weaknesses are amplified and get bigger and bigger as we see God for who he is. And then... Turn away from evil, the fear of the Lord also has to do with God's holiness. And as we grasp or begin to grasp that God's holy character simply cannot tolerate evil, it will radically alter our desire or even the temptation to dabble in evil or in sin. Evil is simply incompatible with God's character. Um, And they are mutually exclusive. uh, God and evil cannot coexist together. There's just no way that they can. Now, you might say, well, they are right now for a period of time, but but ultimately evil will be destroyed. God and um, evil cannot mutually exist. So fearing the Lord is about respecting and reverencing God for who he is. As we observe and deepen our understanding of God, our own sinfulness, our own shortcomings are going to drive us to even a deeper sense of awe and reverence for him. Then he has a statement at the end in verse 8 there. Proverbs makes a lot of generalized statements, uh, and these are different than the promises that we see in the New Testament and so forth. These aren't guarantees. 
Um, it's not going to happen every time that these instructions are given, but it's more of a generalized cause and effect statement that often hold true. And I, I think we need to be careful when we read Proverbs that this is not a guarantee of something. And verse 8 is one of those. It says, when we trust the Lord, when we acknowledge the Lord, when we fear the Lord, there is often a healing and a refreshment that occurs as a result of that. This is healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. So you could state that that's a physical aspect. I don't know that it's necessarily related, but there's often a healing and a refreshment that comes. However, what this statement is not promising, that if we do these things, that we're going to have a life free of health issues. That is not what this is promising. Um, we're all mortal beings, and, um, and that is not what is being promised here. But I we do have the assurance that often there is healing and refreshment that comes as we trust, acknowledge, and fear the Lord. Verses 9 and 10, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats bursting with wine. Again, the word all is mentioned here. I'll, uh, come to that here in a bit but <clears throat> so this fourth instruction is that Solomon is giving is to honor the Lord with our money and possessions uh, specifically uh, the word honor means to show high esteem or honor towards someone else to bestow honor or rewards upon someone else as we trust as we acknowledge as we reverence God we will want to respond in some way, to do something, by doing something. And a natural response is bestowing honor on God in the form of gifts from what God has entrusted to us. This is clearly talking about money and crops, but I believe it applies to all material possessions, but even beyond that as well, but certainly all material possessions. There's two words that stand out as I look at this. First fruits is the first one. This includes, first fruits include both the first and the best of the crops. The first and the best. The Israelites were expected to sacrifice their first fruits of their crops and livestock to God every year as a tithe. Tithing, the idea of giving 10%, is not explicitly commanded in the New Testament. It is in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, the idea of giving sacrificially is a theme that runs throughout the New Testament. It's not, uh, there's not a set amount, but the idea of just giving sacrificially is. And generosity is encouraged and modeled even to the point of seeming illogical or even beyond common sense. And 2 Corinthians 8, first three verses are just amazing. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. 
That's the response of these Christians in Macedonia. They were living in extreme poverty, but because of the joy that they had, they gave according to their means and even beyond their means of their own accord. Giving financially and materially both of the first and the best of what we have is a good way of honoring God. And giving is not limited to tangible things. We honor the Lord by the giving of ourselves. And it's especially true in giving ourselves to his body, uh, the local church. And then the word all, as I mentioned previously, it's not based on part of what we have, but on everything that we have. God owns it all, and we're simply stewards of what he's entrusted and assigned to us our portion. Even though we usually uh, act as if possessions belong to us, they actually don't. None of it belongs to us. And by giving, it's a good reminder that uh, it reminds us of that reality as well as showing reverence to God and trust with our entire being. And so to generously give back to him of our first fruits is a good way of showing that. So then here again, we have a statement or a promise or a result that's described when we honor God with our first fruits. It says a bumper crop will fill your barns and vats will be overflowing with new wine. Um, I think that we can be assured that an abundance will result. Uh, that abundance is not necessarily material or certainly not limited to material abundance. We won't automatically end up wealthy if we're generous. This is not a health and wealth gospel. However, we can be assured that the abundance from God, that there will be an abundance from God when we honor him with a pure heart. He will bless us. He will reward us. He will shower us with abundance. Wrapping up here, God is certainly worthy of our trust, our attention and focus, our reverence, our honor. And the challenge for me, again, first of all, myself, is whether we allow other people or other things to rob God of that rightful place of being trusted, of being honored, of taking our attention, <clears throat> and so forth. So we are to trust in the Lord, acknowledge the Lord, reverence the Lord, honor the Lord. Three alls, with all our heart, with our entire being, in all your ways, in everything you do, with all your produce, with everything you have. Now that's a, that's a tall order right there. To do these things with our entire being, in everything we do, with everything that we have. As we do that, God will straighten our paths, he will heal and refresh, and he will bless with abundance. Let's stand together for a benediction. <clears throat>
Father, thank you for this reminder in my own life of the importance and value of trusting you, for you alone are trustworthy. Lord, I want to trust, I want to acknowledge, I want to reverence, and I want to honor you with my entire being, with everything I do, and with everything I have. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You are dismissed.